Before we get started with this week's edition of Bench with Bubba, let me talk to you about Draft. Draft Draft.com is one of the coolest new ways to play fantasy sports. You get to draft against, you know, three, five, ten-man competitions. There's new drafts starting every five minutes. Your chances of winning on Draft are over 80% better than salary cap sites. That's why you need to try Draft. No more getting crushed by the pros. More than one million people have already downloaded Draft. You can play in real life NBA, NFL. They have NHL. PGA is a great one. They have MLB. They have them all. It keeps getting better, better, and better. Drafts usually finish in under five minutes. You get paid the next day. The event finishes, but they're fi- and they're filling fast. Every second, drafts are filling. They have them up until your games begin. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit, and you have to use the promo code SD Sports. All one word. SD Sports. That's right. Playing a real money draft for free by using the promo code SD Sports. But it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering a money back guarantee up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to draft.com and come play for free right now with promo code SD Sports. Void or prohibited must be 18 or older. See website for details. Offer must be redeemed within 14 days. Now to this week's edition of Benched with Bubba. everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 72 on today's episode we're gonna talk some draft strategy recap the labor mixed draft that took place uh tuesday night and in order to do so i'm joined by i guess you can find him on lenny melnick fantasy sports.com has a podcast called ditka sausage and fantasy sports which is really really good stuff there he's on twitter at donkey teeth 87 donkey teeth how we doing i'm great thanks for having me on bubba no, thanks for coming on. It's a, a pleasure getting to have you on here and uh, picking your brain on some different strategies and whatnot. Uh, I've gotten to know you in the last few months with all these preps for drafts. We're in one of the slowest mock drafts in the planet right now. But uh, it's good because, you know, well, let's, actually, I put that on the bottom of the outline, but I just want to ask you a few questions on that first. Like, I, as you can tell, we'll go off the rails a few times here. But um, what's your thoughts on this mock draft? How do you, how do you like how it's playing out? Because I know – it's based out of the the great fantasy invitational we're going to be playing in. I believe we both have the second pick, so I picked third in this one. How how are you liking it? Um, you know, other than the pace, I, I like how things are going. <laughs> um, you know, it, I told Justin we had him on our podcast. Justin Mason's running the 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 invitational for everybody, and I told him he's got pick number two as well. I'd almost rather be later in the draft. I'm uh. We'll get into it in the strategy here, but I'm kind of in on pitchers early this year, and you got to take Altuve or or Trout if somebody happens to take Altuve first at, at number two. I assume you're in the same boat there, and then you kind of get stuck on the way back in the second round with, you know, is there still a pitcher worthy of taking in the second round, or are you going to double up on bats? It's just kind of no man's land. I like getting one of those four aces this year personally, so um, 
I like getting this practice in just to see how I want to build my team and, and try different things out. What, what's your uh, opinion on pick number two? Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's a kind of a good and a bad, like a good, the bad, the ugly thing where you get Trout around two, which is outstanding. You get the, basically two MVPs, so two of the best players in baseball. But yeah, you, you kind of get handcuffed. Like you took um, DeGrom uh, as your first pitcher. I have Bumgarner. It's like they're not horrible, but every other mock I've been doing, somehow I, I end up in the back end of the draft, and I love how those turn out. I've gone pitcher, 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 power, and it's so much better. Like you said, we'll get that on the strategy, but like looking at my team, you know, I take I take Trey Turner out of the three spot just because his steal advantage is so tremendous, and now I might have to rethink that. But I was trying to get someone that's kind of close to Altuve in that range and kind of go off of that. And I don't know, it, it's it it doesn't feel right, especially the pitching part, like you're saying. Yeah, I feel like you end up reaching. I'm probably gonna end up going pitcher pitcher in in the second and that second third turn. Um, but just kind of hope that somebody falls there. I was hoping Bumgarner would fall, and, and you snagged him right before me. I know we talked uh, with Justin Mason yesterday. He's a big Giants fan, and he's off of Bumgarner this year. I'm really – I'm on board. I believe in the guy. I think that, you know, he's not going to put up the number one numbers. He's not going to be the number one pitcher, but I really think that he's a pretty safe uh, top five guy, even with the, the shoulder issues. I think even if he's not 100%, he's one of those gamers that's going to figure out how to pitch and get it done with what he's got. Kind of like uh, Justin Verlander a few years ago, we saw that velocity come down with him and he just kind of had to reinvent himself. And I think Bumgarner is one of those guys that's just always going to be a good pitcher for his entire career. And and he's out to prove people wrong. So I like that pick there at 28. Yeah. As, as a Giants fan myself, um, I, I've watched Bumgarner plenty. I'm not worried about the shoulder because he even came back and he looked good, not great, but he's got a full off season. He looked and it's like, you know, whatever everyone wants to say, he's coming to camp looking great, best shape of his life. Right. But um, but the one thing with Bumgarner, and he, you, you hit on it, is he's like a workhorse. And Matt Modica said it best, and he's tweeted it out many times, there aren't many 200-inning guys. There's not really many 175-plus inning guys with the stuff Bumgarner has. So even if he's not the ace ace, he's a good ace to a fantasy staff if you miss out on those top four, like, like you were mentioning. So I have no problem with him at all. It's just the way some of the other positions play out when you're doing this. It's like it's not the worst team, and maybe it'll work out because it's kind of more balanced, but it's not flashy by any means. Right, but right. Let's get into some fantasy draft strategy talk, which I really <laughs> enjoy this topic because it's kind of free-flowing. There's – so many different ways to play fantasy baseball, which makes it great. There's so many different people that like it so many different ways. So we'll kind of hit the main points, and then we'll kind of hop around here. But we'll start in the head-to-head categories, kind of the way fantasy started. People say, it's well, I played this when I played football, so I come over to baseball and I play head-to-head. Um, what's kind of your thoughts on head-to-head, and how do you approach your head-to-head leagues? Well, yeah, I'll start by saying I did start out in head-to-head as well. I think that's just kind of a, you know, a typical home league thing when you're when you're growing up, play with all your buddies and do the head-to-head matchups. Uh, personally, as I've gone on, I've come to enjoy Roto more and more. Um, I get tired of having great head-to-head teams or what feels like great head-to-head teams and, and losing. I guess as I got into Roto, I started to understand – where I might've been going wrong. I, you know, I won a decent amount of head to head leagues, but I also felt like I had amazing teams and would lose. And 
I guess as I got into Roto, I, I understood head-to-head better. Like I'd kind of been drafting Roto teams and head-to-head leagues for the first 10 years of my fantasy baseball career, if you will. And uh, so in head-to-head leagues now, I first of all, I tried to avoid picking up new head-to-head leagues. All my head-to-head leagues are with my friends from home and, and you know, standard uh, well, keeper leagues that I've had going for a while. And um, the way that I'm approaching them is, is choosing – you know, if it's a five by five league, I'm choosing seven categories to go after aggressively and, and punt in three and adjusting my my rankings and valuations accordingly. Um, there's no need in a head to head league, especially a competitive one, to try to win all 10 ca- categories every week. Uh, all you need to do is is win, uh, you know, six to four or seven to five or se- seven to three majority of weeks. And you're going to end up uh, doing pretty darn well. Um, I guess as far as specific strategy, you know, talking strategy, and I actually just wrote an article for, for Lenny over at Lenny Melnick fantasy sports on, on strategy. It hasn't been published yet. We're doing a a draft, uh, draft guide that's going to be published out there sometime in the next week or so, I think. So, so look out for that. But, um, I wrote the article and, you know, there's a lot of different variables to each individual league that you really have to consider before you you're able to make your draft strategy, um, starting with how many teams are in the league, what roster positions you use, how many bench spots you've got, how weekly, how moves are made if you can change your lineup daily or weekly, uh, what categories are used, obviously. And then, like we're talking about now, what uh, what type of league you're, you're in, head-to-head categories, head-to-head points, or, or Roto League, I guess, are the top three standard leagues. So you got to look at those things first, obviously, to determine what types of players you, you want to value higher than, than everyone else is going to be valuing and which players to, to disregard, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned it uh, when you're talking about the head-to-heads, and I'm with you. That's how I started out. And I prefer Roto 100% now because, like you said, you could have a great head-to-head te- league team and maybe it struggles for a week or two and it kills your whole season because that's just how the cookies crumble. But in the end, in Roto, if you have a great team, it should be there in the end. Um, when you're when you're talking head-to-head, you mentioned size of leagues, and, and it affects Rotos and points. But like when you're talking your sizes, what size leagues do you prefer? Because I've – pretty much been stuck on 12 for a while. The invitation will be like my first real big 15 team league. What do you prefer? I much prefer a deeper league 15 or deeper. Uh, I started out in, in 12 and then I picked up a 10 team and these were head to head leagues. And, you know, it's really difficult in the shallower leagues like that. And I call 10, 12 team leagues, shallower leagues, because you have to make really tough decisions throughout the year on, on who you want to add and drop. And, you know, somebody can leave the draft with just a God awful team that looks totally lost and be an advantage because they've got so many players that they're like ready to drop immediately. And they can snag all those, you know, Tommy fams of last year and Justin smoke and Logan Morris and all these guys that just come out of nowhere every single year. Um, you can land those in, in 10 and 12 team leagues, even 15 team leagues, you're going to land those guys off the wire, but it's much easier in a 15 team league when you've got these schmoes on, on the end of your bench that you didn't even really want to draft anyway, that you weren't totally sold on. You you know, you got these guys that you can 
cut right off the bat. So that's what I like about deeper leagues. Uh, obviously, there's no right answer. It's all preference. Um, it's it's a whole whole different game playing in shallower leagues. It's for me, if I'm in a 10 team league or a 12 team league, it's all about getting the top bats, and I'm willing to package together, you know, four guys that are you know, in the 60 to 100 ranked range to get a first round guy, no problem. And then I got those extra bench spots or the roster spots to play around with and pick guys. And, you know, in 12 team leagues, it just becomes who can pick up the best pickups. Also another factor in draft strategy is, is how pickups are handled in your league. Obviously there's draft and hold leagues where you can't make any pickups. There's, uh, you know, leagues where you only get a couple a week. There's leagues where you get, uh, you know, 100 a year or something like that. And then there's leagues where it's unlimited. And in those leagues, if, if you've got unlimited pickups, you just, you know, pick up a new guy every day and, and accumulate those stats, right? Yeah, and that, that, that's a league I can't stand. At least put a, mi- a minimum on it or something. But um, do you prefer, and I do, do you prefer fab over just willy-nilly pick up whatever you want? Yeah, yeah, I do. I like having that uh, that budget to play around with and – it makes everything a little bit more interesting. This is kind of more of an in-season strategy, and we'll get back to the draft. But when you're playing with your fab, do you go, you know, crazy out the gate, or do you try to kind of save it throughout the year? Because baseball, unlike football, football you got to win right away, or you're screwed. Baseball is such a long season; you have some luxury, even in a head-to-head, to lose a few weeks. Um, how do you treat your fab budget? I'm a little bit more conservative with it out of the gates. Again, it does depend on on the league type and you know, what kind of players are going to be available throughout the year and, and who happens to come up. If somebody drops a great player in a deeper league right off the bat, then I, I'm maybe more prone to spend up 30, 40% of my budget and, and go crazy like that. If it's a guy that if I, I'm really confident that, Hey, this guy's going to be a top 50 player or something like that. And these guys aren't going to come along, but you know, it's, it's really nice to to have that money, to play around with, especially down the stretch when you know what categories you need, if we're talking Roto, uh, and you, you know what uh, where you need to, to make your pushes. Okay. Another head-to-head question is you did mention how you, you when you're drafting, you're approaching it like, okay, I need to win seven categories a week. It makes 100% of sense. Let's break it down a little more for the listeners. So when you're looking at it, I've heard the philosophy is I don't care about relievers because – uh, saves are one category where if I go get a bunch of good pitchers, this, that, and the other, I can get three or four categories taken care of. Uh, maybe you don't focus as much on like Billy Hamilton steals guys because steals is one category. Go get the bopper. It's going to score runs and hit homers. Um, kind of how do you approach the categories per se? If we're doing standard categories in a minute, we'll kind of go into some of the newer categories that people are starting to delve into. Yeah. So this year, if we're talking five by five head to head league, the, the strategy that I'm really mulling over right now is punting, um, punting wins actually, and and disregarding starting pitchers because I think there's a premium on on starting pitchers across the, you know, the industry, and that's going to obviously trickle down to all leagues what people are saying, which I think is right. There should be a premium on them, like we were just talking with the the invitational, in roto leagues. They're so valuable getting those top arms, and in my roto leagues last year, it was just a total bloodbath in, in pitching categories, hundreds of point hundredths of points in mm-hmm. ERA and whip made up the, the difference between, you know, first and fifth place in some leagues. Oh, yeah. So I, th- I think that that's fair that pitchers are, are being valued so highly this year. Uh, especially when you consider the power landscape, uh, the baseballs they're using, whatever the heck's going on. There's a, 
ton of power and it's available later in, in drafts. Um, but in head to head leagues, who cares? You know, I can disregard starters, load up on high K relievers and, you know, punt wins and K's and, you know, maybe, maybe be competitive some weeks if I throw somebody out there, see how it goes and then punt steals. And because, you know, steals are, are costing a premium this year, too, acro across the industry, I'd say. So I, I think those are the, the two categories that I'm targeting is steals and, and starting pitchers, basically. And if I do that in a, a five by five league, then I'm going to go ahead and just load up on power bats early and try to grab a, t a couple of the top closers, uh, reach a little bit. Um, ahead of their ADP and grab a couple of those guys and then then load up on closers, win saves every week, win the ratios in pitching every week. ERA and whip should be pretty easy. Grab some of the, uh, you know, high case setup men later in the draft and then just load up on, on the power bats with high average. It, it's uh, it seems like a no brainer to me. I guess it depends, you know, what everybody else is doing in your draft. If everybody's doing that, then you kind of pivot and, and do something else. But I don't think that that's going to be a, a typical strategy across head to head to head leagues. What do you think? Yeah, no, it definitely isn't a typical one. It makes a ton of sense. I've heard that philosophy lately is, you know, take those, those middle, those middle reliever type guys, uh, set up men that have the great ratios and have good strikeout ratios and uh, whips and ERA, all that stuff we're looking for and load up on that to keep, you know, there's three categories there. You can, you can dominate if you do it right. Um, the only concern I have is, and it's not that way in all leagues, is if you have like an innings cap per week. And um, there will be a guy we'll talk about in the labor draft who I asked him questions about his pitching staff, and he's concerned about the innings cap. Um, if, you know, it's just a 20 innings limit or whatever, which I've had in most of my leagues, that's no big deal. You should be able to, especially if you grab a guy like a, a Davinsky or something like that, it'll get you three, maybe six, if he comes out there twice a week, six innings or so. So you, you can definitely work with that. So I like that philosophy a lot, um, and I agree. Get those power bats in there and go that direction, then go get a bunch of you know Zach Godleys of the world if you need starters that direction. Otherwise, stick with the bullpens like you're saying. So, yeah, I, I definitely do see that angle in head-to-heads. Um, let's go to Roto here for a little bit because it's kind of what we both like a lot lot more. Um, it's definitely different. You mentioned the pitching the pitching. And it's top heavy. You have the big four this year. Then you kind of have a middle tier of like Strasburg and, and Bumgarner. Then another smaller group with Thor and company. Then it drops off pretty good. Um, how do you approach your, your rotisserie drafts differently than your head-to-heads, I guess? Well, you know, like we said, you, you're, you're not punting any categories in a Roto League. It, it just doesn't make sense if you're in a competitive league to, to be punting. I could see maybe – punting saves and then just picking them up th throughout the season. I know a lot of people like to do that, especially in auction leagues and just pick up some, some one to $2 closers and stuff like that. But generally I'm not punting any categories in a Roto league. I'm trying to build a balanced squad. Um, the way that I've come to approach my Roto leagues, and I've had a lot of, a lot of success with this over the past couple of years is uh, determining what, uh, what I'm going to need to win the league. So how I do that is uh, most of my leagues have been going on for a while. Even the, the redraft leagues I'm in have been going for several, several years. So I'll take a look at the standings last year and see what the point total it took to, to win the league. 
and then divide that by the amount of categories. So say it's a standard five by five and 120 points or, or whatever won the league. Divide 120 by the 10 categories. You need 12 points on average across the categories to, to come out as the winner of the league. And then just go through the standings and see how many home runs, how many runs, how many strikeouts, how many wins it would take to get 12 points. And then I just keep track of those those milestones or benchmarks or goals, whatever you want to call them, throughout the draft. It's much easier to do in slow drafts. I'm a big fan of slow drafts. You get time to think about your picks. You get time to really consider how you're building your team. Um, and it's easier to, to add up your projections and statistics as you go and, and make sure that you're healthy in, in every category. And then at the end of the draft, you know, you might be weaker in one place or another place, but you know going into the year, okay, now I need to focus on saves or I need to focus on, you know, picking up uh, low whip guys or power or RBIs or steals or whatever. You know what your weakness is. You know if you need average or, or whatever. So that's my favorite way to, to go into rotos. Do you use that approach? Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. It's a great approach. Uh, I'll build like kind of an Excel sheet that I'll have open at all times. And I have it on the bottom. I have kind of the baseline, like you're talking about that, you know, last year you needed this many homers, this many steals, so on and so forth, like you're talking about. And then as you draft, I use um, the projections and I fill them in with each player and it just keeps accumulating as we go to let me know I'm kind of hitting those targets, kind of like exactly what you're talking about. Um, I think it's a great approach. People don't, I think, utilize that enough they kind of more go okay I, like mentally they think they have enough of something and mm -hmm. you know you might have a good amount but how do you really know and uh it, it is very interesting and there's a bunch of draft softwares out there you can use it'll do the same thing for you i know like J justin talks about a bunch that he loves and there's some other ones coming out there i just do the excel sheet but there's a lot of ways to do it and it does help a ton because at least it gives you an idea on where you're drafting to me it comes in handy when you know, you might have your own personal rankings or you might be going off an ADP sheet or a tier sheet or something. And when you're, you're narrowing it down between two picks at your time of the pick, well, you might need this stat over this stat a lot more. And it helps you make that pick a lot better uh, and get your team where it needs to go. So I agree with that completely. And it also, like you said, a great point is you're not going to be perfect in every category leaving the draft unless you just knocked one out of the park. Um it lets you know exactly where you need to focus on either the waiver wire, early trades, whatever you have to do. So, yeah, I think that's a great strategy to use and, and definitely comes into play when you're looking at it. Um, when we're talking category standard five by five, uh, wins is always a, a big point of contention with people. Batting average is a big point of contention. Saves. I, I've moved a lot to saves holds in leagues. Um, I, I, like, I like the idea of quality starts but I'd like to fine tune what a quality start is. And then I like the OBP format. What, what's your thoughts on some of these new categories that are coming about? Yeah, I like OBP as well. Um, you know, I, I'll adapt to whatever more or less. I'm, I'm kind of indifferent. I do prefer, you know, a standard five by five versus getting into like the six by sixes. I do have some of those leagues and, you know, yeah, it's I'd, fun. I'd rather not do six by six. That's for sure. <laughs> You know, I've got I've got a head to head league and it's like ten by ten and you oh, know it's, it's what am I doing? You know, yeah, <laughs> it's a whole wow. different league. So and and well, you know, that's one thing with head head to head. If you get into head to head leagues with more categories, then each category becomes less valuable. You know, so you really got to think if you're in these crazy you know fourteen category leagues or you know twenty category leagues like I'm talking about. 
which categories you're going to go after, which ones make sense, which ones are most highly correlated, and which ones like maybe steals you don't really care about. You know, it's 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 a solo category. Like home runs, okay, you get runs, you get RBIs, you get home runs, and like there's total base leagues. There's all kinds of crazy leagues out there. So you just got to really use rational thinking when you're going into your draft to determine what makes most sense for this this league and. The crazier, the most un- more unique these leagues get, the the more thinking it takes. They're, they're going to be a little bit different than the standard rankings that you're seeing out there in the industry because those are made for five by five roto leagues, basically. Yeah, definitely. And when you're filling out your kind of projections as you draft, like I said, the Excel sheet, you have your format as well. Do you use last season stats to use your own projections? I preferred. I like to use steamer projections. Those seem to be pretty good. I know Rob Silver makes his own. Uh, Todd Zola makes his. What what do you use as your baseline as you're filling out those stats? Yeah, the last couple of years I've used my own, and this year I've I've actually gone towards using Steamer. They're a little bit more conservative. You know, if I like a guy more, well then you know I'm expecting him to outperform that Steamer projection, but why not just put it in there as that? And then if I get more, then great. You know. Yeah, they seem to. It leaves a really good floor, which I like because. Like you said, if it if they outproduce that, well, now you, if you needed 12 points in that category, this could burst you into the first place in that category, which obviously will portray throughout the rest of your standings. So that, that's why I right. like and the I'll, fact that they are conservative. Yeah, and I'll say keeping an Excel spreadsheet in a quick draft, if you've got like a 30-second pick clock or something like that, it's impossible. pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So it is helpful. You know, Rasball has a good um, – they call it a war room on there. I've used that before. The projections, I mean, I don't know if they put Gray's projections in there. I don't think they're pulling Rudy's uh, math. Maybe, maybe they do use Rudy's projections. Whatever they are, you know, I don't really care. I'm just trying to get a general idea of what, where I'm at. You know, if they say I'm great in one character. They also have goals in there, but you've really kind of got to disregard the goals that they use because they're, they're just not right. I'll tell you that off the top. Yeah, no, that happens for sure. Um, when you're doing your leagues, we'll get to the next league in a minute. Do you prefer daily transactions or weekly transactions, and how do those do those affect how you draft at all? They do for sure affect my uh, draft strategy. Um, I prefer daily. I've always been a daily player. I like the the action. I like being, you know, having something to do every day instead of just set it and you know see what happens this week. That said, I've got a shit ton of leagues going now. I've yeah, I've probably got uh, 12 leagues already, uh, and I'm sure I'm, I'm going to get into that 20 area by the <laughs> the time the yeah. year starts because you know I just keep getting invited to more leagues. <laughs> Who can say no, right? Yeah, and that's that's the problem with daily leagues right there. Is once you start accumulating so many of them, it's tough to keep up that way. Right, it's a full time job. I I go yeah. to work. I got a real job, and I spend the first hour of the day just setting all all my lineups. Uh, yeah, it's not great, but I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I enjoy every minute of it. But you like, if you're busy at work or something, you got to make sure you like set a reminder to, you know, when there's there's day games that start at you know one Eastern time. I got to make sure to get them in and stuff like that. So definitely changes things. Yeah. Um. As far as draft strategy, uh. I mean, a daily league, depending on how many transactions you're allowed and the limits they put on that, you can, it's it's much more open to a streaming strategy, you know, just making moves every day and accumulating those counting stats, much more friendly to that. Um, 
a weekly league, it, it's it's already got those limits set in. You know, some some daily leagues will put in uh, limits to games played for each position and innings limits and stuff like that to prevent streaming. So you got to look at that type of stuff. Um, but weekly leagues, pretty much, it's built in. You know, you set your lineup. You can't be fiddling. There is um, semi-weekly leagues. You know, like NFBC has semi-weekly leagues. Uh, Fantrax is doing semi-weekly leagues now. Those are kind of cool where you change your lineup on Friday, so you can't be like really streaming hitters and or pitchers for that matter, but you can get, you know, if you had one start from a guy uh, in the middle of the week, then you can get him out and throw a reliever, reliever in there or something like that. Um, so it's, it's uh, there, there's definitely some strategy. It's hard to, to give like a broad strategy for all weekly and all, all daily lineup leagues. But uh, I will say in weekly leagues, I tend to avoid, um, those guys that are constantly getting nicked up and banged up like the, the Ryan yeah. Bronze of the world, because you know, they're going to be banged up at some point in the year. And then, you know, probably several times during the year and then you're stuck with them in your lineup, they get banged up on Monday and you got this guy locked in your lineup for the whole week. So I do tend to avoid guys like, like that. And I'd probably give pitching even a, a little bit more boost in, in weekly lineup leagues too. Yeah, in the weekly lineup leagues, I definitely give pitching a boost because you want those reliable guys. You don't have to, you know, you can stream and if they have one good start and one kind of I don't know start, you can still throw them out there that week if they're a two-start pitcher. And, and the biggest thing that stinks and you hit on it is when your guy gets injured early in the week and you can't move him out, that's the, like, killer of killers. That The, the, the multi-week ones, whatever you're calling them, mid-week ones, that's the ones that I'm, I'm intrigued to try one of these days because that can really help you. So if you only miss a guy for a couple days instead of like five days, it makes a tremendous difference. Yeah, um, for sure. Two catcher leagues. This has been a point of an interesting conversation a couple times. I'm a single catcher guy. Uh, we had Walter on the other day. He is a two catcher guy. And I know it's kind of, you, you have your, your side of the table and you sit on it and you, you hoist the flag what are your thoughts on two catcher leagues? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually just like in the middle of the table. I, <laughs> beat on my co-host on the Ditka Sausage Pod and I, we just assume get rid of catchers altogether, to be honest. I mean, the position, it's it really is like kickers in football to me. They're just, I mean, at least there's two, two three good ones. Uh, I'm kind of skeptical on, on Posey, to be honest. Yep. He goes so high and... You know, he's like a good middle infielder at this point. I don't, I don't understand pretty much why people are spending such a high pick on him. But I, I guess I get it. You gotta reward those those guys. I'm fine with whatever. I get what Walter says that, you know, why? What's the point of even having one? Everyone just waits till the end of the draft to to draft them anyway. Um, each have their own strategy. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer really. It's just yeah. these are the settings and deal with it. You know, adapt. Yeah, now, if you're playing in a, a single catcher compared to a two-catcher league, how do you approach that come draft time? Single catcher? I'm pretty much waiting till the, the end of the draft. If there's if one of those guys like uh, Wilson Ramos is getting kind of disregarded this year, if, uh, if he's there guy. and if he, nobody else is jumping out at me, I'll, I'll grab a guy like him, um, Evan Gaddis, maybe if, if he falls. But generally... Yeah, it's just wait. You know, I don't want to wait till the last round because usually there's a lot of guys doing that. So I'll like uh, third to last round or something like that. I'll grab the guy that that I like, but I'm not getting attached to that guy. You know, if uh, yep. the flavor of the week, I'll I'll drop him for if they're not doing it for me. Yep, I'm with you there completely. Uh, kind of the third format. We did head to head. We talked roto. 
one that's been picking up steam the last few years. I was in one a while ago, a few years ago. I haven't been in one in a long time, but uh, a points league. So what are your thoughts on those? I prefer Roto still, but these points leagues, people are starting to really make a push for them lately. Yeah, they're interesting leagues. I've only got one points league. I try to stay well-rounded. Just, you know, we got a podcast and we're trying to help people out. So it, it helps to be in all these different types of leagues. Um, points leagues, again, it's totally dependent on what the point settings are. There, there could be some crazy points leagues where, you know, typically pitching gets a huge boost. You're getting points for every inning pitched, every strikeout, uh, wins you get a bunch of points for. Uh, closers, they're, they're devalued a little bit. You get points for saves, but it's nothing compared to like the starting, starting pitchers. They're racking up all these innings and all these strikeouts and stuff. So I, I think typically, you know, pitching, pitching is, uh, the Trump in, in points leagues that said, like you could have this crazy league where you get just like a 10th of a point for an inning pitched or something like that. And you get like 20 points for home runs. Like you can set them up whatever way you want. So it's really tough to, to talk a general strategy on points leagues because it's just who has the most points each week wins. Um, you know, the thing I don't like about points leagues and head to head in general, head to head categories is that you just play one team each week. So you could just get really unlucky with your schedule and, and have an awesome team and have the most points. And it's the same thing with like fantasy football, you know, you just get this terrible schedule and you play the best team every week and all of a sudden you're out of the playoffs. Um, the points league that I'm in is kind of cool. It's 24 team dynasty and you play six teams each week, six different teams each week. So you, you kind of get a, a better sample. Okay. I played the guy that had the best score and I lost him. I had the second best score. So I beat the other five teams. You know, it makes more sense that way. Um, speaking generally to points, uh, typically you've got a smaller offensive roster from what I've seen. I think the standard is just one catcher first, second, third, short, and three outfielders in a utility. There's no five five uh, outfielders. There's no middle infield, corner infield. So that also de- devalues offensive players. You know, the, the top guys are, are still going to score a good chunk of points compared to the lower end guys, but there's a, the player pool is going to be deeper for you generally because you're not rostering this huge bench of awesome offensive guys because you need to fill five outfield spots and corner infield and middle infield and two catchers and all that stuff. Uh, easier to come across players. Players with high on-base percentage get a bump because you're getting points for walks usually and, uh, you know, steals are devalued. No, that's, generally, that's generally what I'd have to say about points leaks. It's you know, totally dependent on the settings of the league. Yeah, that's true. Cause I've seen some that just go crazy on certain categories and don't care about others. So very, very valid point there. Let's talk um, kind of drafting. You have your regular kind of snake drafts that you see a lot. And then you have your auction drafts, which I know is, they're picking up steam like crazy. Um, what do you prefer and how do they kind of differ in your strategy? I've uh, ever since I came across auctions, I've been uh, a big proponent of them. I love that you can get whatever players you want. Snake drafts, you get stuck in this box where, you know, I've got pick two. I've, you know, I could go crazy and and take Kershaw or Scherzer or something like that, but I really got to take the the value. Um, if you're in pick 14 or something, you you miss out on those first 13 guys. You don't even get a chance in auction. You get to choose what players are available to you. You get to set your budget. You're, you're in total control of, of uh, constructing your team. So that's what I love about auctions. Uh, 
mentioned on the show with Justin Mason last night, we've been getting into these slow auctions. I don't know if you've ever done one of those. No, I've been hearing it, you guys all talking about it, and I'm kind of curious because I don't know. Like Auction drafts take forever as it is, which I don't mind because I love baseball, but these slow auction ones, I just think they would terrify me, but I could be wrong. Uh, they won't terrify you. There is a, a definite learning curve. Um, they will destroy your life. Like You're just going to be staring at the screen all the time. Uh, your significant other is probably going to hate you for a couple of weeks. You might get fired from your job. <laughs> but other than that, they're awesome. So we um, we started a dynasty league, and uh, I wish we could have got you in there. I didn't even uh, think to ask you, but it was uh, 30 guys. So we had this 15-team league when every player got two nominations. So 30 guys are being auctioned off at all times. And we set the clocks lower. Sometimes you'll start with 24-hour clock on each player. Sometimes you'll... Uh, and then it'll reset to 12 if you did 24 hours. So if there's a new high bidder under 12 hours, it'll reset up to 12 hours. So it can be really frustrating if it gets really low and you think you're going to win the guy and then boom, 12 hours again, and you got to outbid that guy and you get really pissed off at people. <laughs> so we did 12 hours to start and uh, eight hour resets. So if there's a new high bidder under eight hours, it resets. It really adds a whole new wrinkle because you're not thinking, okay, do I want to bid on Jose Altuve at this price? You're thinking... Do I want to bid on Jose Altuve, Mike Trout, or this slew of 28 other players, you know? And then if you get outbid on one guy, then your money's probably going to somebody else, and there's this whole, like, ripple effect that goes on, and there's just so many layers of strategy in it. And everyone tends to overspend at the beginning of these things. It just happens. You know, I want to get one of the top players still, right? So, like, I'm going to overspend for somebody just because I have to and then just kind of sit back. That's kind of the way that I approach them. But, yeah, they're they're just so much fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is do you prefer to go and spend, like, a good chunk of your budget on, like, three or four guys out the gate? Or do you kind of like to get one or two maybe really good guys and kind of make it more balanced after that? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a more balanced guy. I do like to get that one guy uh, – that I can really count on that I think is going to be a stud for me this year is Trey Turner. I really like Trey Turner. who you took at number three there. He, he has become my number three. I don't know if you've seen all this stuff about the humidor now out, out in Arizona. I was kind of between him and Goldschmidt and now, you know, it sounds like that could be a, a huge headache for offensive players in Arizona. I know Goldschmidt's Goldschmidt. He's still going to be a stud. He's still going to give you first round talent, assuming he's healthy. Um, but there could be a little bit of a downturn, I think, based on what I've heard about this humidor. Yeah, you you mentioned it with Turner coming up to three, and I love Turner. Like going into last season, I was so anti Trey Turner, it wasn't even funny. At least where he's getting drafted. Now I'm like all aboard. Yes, give me him at number three because if he's healthy, we saw what he can do, and it's it's insane. Um, would you ever imagine yourself in a draft at the two spot? Because hey, we both sit at the two spot in a big draft, taking Trey Turner over Jose Altuve. You know, I haven't really thought about it, but it, it's intriguing. <laughs> it is. Like, the more I've thought about it, because, like, I, I've come to the realization that it's highly unlikely Trout's not falling to two. Like, that's just – if I live in a draft like that, then that whole draft's going to be chaos. But it's a real good question, I think. You know, I bet there's more than one – I bet there's more than one of the 13 – invitational drafts where uh, 
Altuve is picked number one or Trout isn't picked at number one. Who knows? Maybe somebody picks Kershaw or something. I, I think that they're, that we're going to be surprised. I don't know that it's going to be either of our drafts, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Turner brings so much speed. I really think that, that he's got a good shot to steal 70 bases this year. Lenny has uh, been tempering expectations with him because it sounds like Turner's going to be batting in the two hole and, you know, we don't know what their running philosophy is going to be now with the new manager there. Um, I think that he's just going to run run wild. You can't – nobody can give that guy a stop signal. He's going to do it by himself yeah, no matter what. Can't. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to think about it. I am. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's, I've, as we've been approaching the March 1st go time, it has, like, slowly been creeping into my mind. And you look at, you know, what they both offer you and – it's interesting because can you see Altuve being this guy that was an MVP in back-to-back years? Yeah, but I could also see some serious regression coming there, which will still make him an outstanding baseball player. But um, you look at the steamer projections for Altuve, and he's going to get you they're, – they're projecting 19 homers, 94 runs, 85 ribbies, 24 steals. Uh, 309 batting average, which all great numbers, maybe not number two. Then you got Trey Turner, 17 homers, 50 stolen bases, 96 runs, 66 ribbies, and a 298 average. That stolen base number really makes me think about taking him over Altuve. It does. I mean, I guess two things. I mean, we know Altuve's done it. We know he's done it for, you know, like four years in a row now. Uh, He's been generally really healthy, and Turner's been banged up the past two seasons. And with Altuve, like, you automatically get awesome trade value, and we're allowed to trade in those leagues. So I kind of just assume pick him and then shop him around and see, and if, you know, if that's who I've got, that's who I've got. But maybe I can trade him to the the Trey Turner, or maybe Trey Turner falls to number seven or something, and I can get Trey Turner and a nice pitcher or something for Altuve. So... That's kind of what I'm thinking. I already also own a butt ton of Trey Turner. Uh, you know, I got too many leagues, and uh, gotcha. I'd like to diversify. You know, I really do want to win this league, obviously. I know we all want to win the Invitational for bragging rights, but uh, I I like to diversify still. I think that I can do uh, some good in-season management, and, and Altuve is a, a stud player, so how can I argue with that, you know? Yeah, that's the thing is it's hard not to take him, but it's a a conversation worth having. It is uh, when you're when when you're drafting. Most of us play in you know the mixed leagues, AL and NL, but there's a lot of AL only, NL only leagues. Um, which one do you prefer, and do you uh, what's your approach? Maybe how do you how does your approach differ? I should say in the onlys compared to the mix. Well, onlys. You know, I've only done auctions in onlys, and I really don't want to do a snake in onlys. I want to be able to control what players I get and really set a limit on myself and get a lot of mid-tier talent in only leagues. Um, just getting players that get playing time is important in only leagues. It's it's a whole new challenge. I prefer NL just because I'm uh, honestly I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan and I I prefer watching NL games. My uh, my roommate's a, a Cubs fan, so I watch a lot of Cubs fans. I'm in the Chicago uh, Cubs game, so I'm in the Chicago area. So I just see a lot more NL baseball. Um, I feel that I know the the player pool a little bit better. Not that I don't don't know AL players pretty well, but I just have a stronger connection with the NL. So it's not like the way it plays or anything like that. It's just I like the NL a little bit more. Um, 
but yeah, I want a lot of mid-tier talent. Uh, if I get like one of the top picks in the AL or NL only, and I'm doing a snake, which I honestly, like I said, I never have. I only do auctions, but if I did, I'd consider shopping them around and, and seeing about getting a few pieces. Like I said, with a 10-team, 12-team league, like we discussed, I I want the top talent. Um, I know the player pool is going to be super deep. I know there's going to be lots of gems out there to be picked up throughout the season. I want those extra roster spots, and I, and I want the studs in a – only league it's the exact opposite it's super deep um and i I want a lot of mid-tier talent uh well-rounded team in those leagues no that makes a lot of sense and that's especially like you said al or nl only i want to be able to control the fact that i'm going to get some guys that i I want that are going to anchor my team where you know i can a mixed league you obviously have a double the size of a player pool and can definitely uh pick those poisons so that makes a lot of sense there. Um, any other fantasy draft strategy topics you're you're curious about or wanted to talk about before we head on to labor? No, I think I think we hit everything pretty well. I'll just reiterate that you know strategy is totally dependent on league, and even a lot of so-called experts out there I think miss that. Um, you know, when somebody asks them this player or that player, they. There's, it's not black or white. There's not usually, I guess, unless it's, you know, Mike Trout or Jed Jerko or something like that. <laughs> yeah, there's always an answer there. But, um, you know, it's it's not cut and dry. you got to determine what type of league you're in and what valuation players have, what kind of type of roster build you have, what your needs are to determine the valuations on players. And I think that's what separates the really good fantasy players from just the average Joe. That's just, oh, this guy's really good. This guy's hyped. I want this guy and this guy, and just picking all you know the hot names. You're probably not going to win your league that way. Yeah, you're going to have some exciting players, and you might have fun doing it, which that's important too. But I want to win also, and uh, you got to know what your league is, what your settings are, what you need to do to win. Um, that's that's the best thing that I can say. Uh, that's a great point. Like, I've told people that when I put my rankings out uh, during the weeks, so I always put a caveat in the article that says, "Hey, make sh- make sure you uh, you you have your if you have any questions, basically come find me because these are just kind of like a baseline of what they are. That's going to change based on what you have going on and so on and so forth. So I completely agree with you there. That's a very valid point to have. Um, let's talk about the labor draft. It took place on Tuesday night, 15-team mix labor draft. Bunch of experts in here um, from all over the industry. And, you know, the first round for the most part went business as usual. Kershaw did go number three. Turner went number four. Goldie dropped down to seven, but so on and so forth. He had all the big four pitchers gone by pick 14. Spore got the last one. Anything that stood out in, like, the early few rounds that um, really surprised you? Let's see here. I jotted down some notes. I guess with the early picks, I'm not a fan of Kershaw. I'm really not a fan of him in the first round, to be honest. Um, some people might think I'm crazy, but I like the other three more than him. I I have them ranked currently as uh, Scherzer, Kluber, Sale, then Kershaw. Uh, so I'm pretty much never going to end up taking Kershaw. I think I've got him on one keeper league, so that'll probably be the, the only share that I have, and I'll probably try to trade him. Um, not that he isn't great, not that there isn't a you know, solid chance that he puts up another amazing Clayton Kershaw year, 
but I also think that the, the risk is just too much with those herniated discs. Um, you know, athletes, they're, they're not immortals. We've seen the past two years he's, he's had issues. Some people debate whether last year they were just being extra cautious with him and, and doing, you know, the Dodgers thing, um, giving everybody rest. They had like a nine-man rotation last year. Um, that may have been it, but I, I personally think that he's got back issues and his back's never going to be the same, and it's just going to get worse and worse. Uh, look at Tiger Woods, man. He, he dropped off pretty damn quick when, when he got a back issue, right? Oh, yeah, and I'm with you on Kershaw. The back problems scare me. I, I have a bad back. I, I know what it's like. It flares up on you. It never goes away, basically. So it, it is terrifying. He's a big guy. He uses a lot of his body through that that, that movement and that windup that he has there. I, I, I'm with you. I have Scherzer and Kluber and Sale before Kershaw as well. So I, I completely agree with everything you're saying, and I've gotten weird looks for it also. Yeah, well, and, you know, people say, well, okay, you've got back issues, but you're a middle-aged man that's out of shape, right? But, exactly. But, uh, so, you know, it's not the same with Kershaw, but it, it, it is the same. It's a spine, you know. Yeah. A herniated disc is a herniated disc. There's there's material. And no offense, I, I mean, I, you look like you're oh, in great shape. I'm, just, I'm, just, <laughs> I, I'm in a great shape. I'm round. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but also – you know, it's it's risk reward to me, and that's what it comes down to. He could have a great season, and I'm totally cool missing out on that because Scherzer is most likely going to have a great season again too, and he's on a, a great team, and he gives me pretty much everything that that Kershaw is going to give without the the back. So yeah, know, I and really get it. When, I, when I'm taking a first round pick, I want to have some confidence that. You know, barring something crazy like Trey Turner, you know, sliding or messing up something, or you know, Bryce Harper slipping over a base, that this guy is going to be my state. Dirt bike. Yeah, yeah, riding a goddamn dirt bike. Like, oh man, when that news came across last year, I could have broke something. It it was just like little things like that, freak injuries. I don't want to worry about that. Um, Manny Machado went thirteenth to Stefania Bell. It's a guy that kind of. It's mixed reactions depending on who you talk to. He's going to have shortstop eligibility eventually this year. If not, depending on your league format, might have it out the gate, uh, but shouldn't most likely. What's your thoughts on a guy like Machado going 13th when you have some other guys that definitely, like Chris Bryant or Votto Freeman, Lindor, a lot of guys that you could see going ahead of him going? Yeah, well, first off, I think we'd both take Kluber over him there uh, off the bat. He's the last ace there. Nobody's making it back to you. Uh, I mean, I guess. You, Correa. Yeah, I'm not a huge Correa fan. Um, I wish that he would steal. Like, I feel like he's got the speed. Um, but he's a stud. You know, you can't argue that. I I can't argue with Machado there. I think he's going to have another great year. Um, I probably wouldn't do it. You know, I've seen him go mid to even late second round in, in some drafts. So, uh, not that that has an impact. If you like a guy, take him, I, I guess is, is what I would tell you, but uh, there's guys I like more. I'm with you. I'd rather have Kluber. I'd rather have Chris Bryant. Uh, I'd probably rather have Joey Votto. He just seems to be getting better. Um, Freddie Freeman is intriguing too. I, I love getting him early second round, but I'd probably take him over Machado to be honest. Uh, he was having an amazing first half until he got hurt last year. Um but yeah, like I said, if you like a guy, take him. It's not Manny Machado is not going to be a guy that loses you your league, you know. 
Well, that's true, and it comes down to it is Machado wasn't going to be there. Well, maybe she had the turnaround, so he could, he could have been there. In most drafts, you, you have the whole theory of like, okay, take a guy, especially in a middle round pick, that he's not going to be there when he comes back to you. But you, you mentioned you got Votto, Freeman, Rizzo, Bryant. There's a handful of guys that I think could have went there, but she teamed him up with Bumgarner, not a horrible start by any means. And like you said, he's not going to lose your league. And he, he's going into a contract here, so maybe he does one of those crazy contract things and just goes just off the rails for him. Sure. And, uh, you know, that's a that's a start that you would have been ecstatic with uh, last year. So <laughs> Exactly. And there's, there's a lot, too, that take advantage of value or something uh, about, like, the last year's darlings that kind of lost some luster coming into this year. Um, a guy that had a great 2017 was Jose Ramirez. He went middle of the second round. He's a guy that I've seen just climb up the board. He's, he's kind of a late, you know, 20th, like 18th to 20th pick. What's your thoughts on Jose Ramirez? You know, that's probably about the right spot for him. I, I think there's other guys that I would have pulled the trigger on there. I, I probably take, uh, you know, Cody Bellinger, maybe Josh Donaldson there over him. But I, I think that's generally about the right spot to take Jose Ramirez. I don't think that he's a 29 home run hitter. Um you know, I've watched a lot of Indian games down the stretch. I'm not sure why. I think I might have owned a lot of their pitchers or something like that. But a lot of his home runs, they came in the last month. I think he hit like eight home runs in the last month, something crazy like that. And a lot of them just barely got out. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those turned into doubles this coming year. He's still going to have a great year. I could see him hitting 20 home runs, though, with, you know, 15 to, to 20 steals and you know, 300 average, maybe a little over 300. It, he's going to have great counting stats. Um, you know, that that's that's great a great floor to have. Uh, not super excited about him at, at that spot, but it's probably around the right area. What do you think? No, I agree. It's about the right area. I, I'm not sold on him. I kind of have the same feelings you do, where it's really, really good ball player, does the five categories really well, but I don't know if they're well enough to go where he's going. But at the same time, would you be shocked if he exceeded last year? Probably not. Like, he is a good, good ball player, young, still figuring things out. So it wouldn't shock me by any means if he made a jump. I just don't know at that level if the power numbers are what you want. But then again, you know, you got it was Mike Potterger that took him. He took Goldie in round one and he followed it up with Reese Hoskins. So he's not looking for Jose Ramirez to be that power guy. He's probably looking more to be the average, get some steals, score some runs, which he's definitely going to do in that lineup. So. It worked out well in his format. Comes back to what you were saying before. You draft based on what your team needs and your league and all that kind of stuff, and it all fills out that way. Yeah, and um, if you're going if you're going into the draft with a certain idea of team construction, and and he's the guy that fits that, and you had that idea going in, then yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, and then he, he, we'll talk just team construction in general. He took a guy in the fifth round. Somehow I don't know how he's falling that far because I hated Will Myers forever. But the more you look at his fantasy value, if you put his bad batting average to the side, he steals over 20 bases. He hits over 30 home runs. He does everything you want. You can get him late or middle of fifth round in this draft. He's a, one of those guys that just fills categories as you're drafting your team that can be tremendous value. What are your thoughts on a guy like Will Myers? You know, I'm not crazy about him, but again, team construction and those steals are great out of a first baseman. I'm totally with you. Um, we kind of know what he is now. He's going to give you about uh, 
20, about 30, 20, um, yep. maybe a little bit less in each this year, I'd say, but that, you know, you're right. It, it is nice value there. I think that that's about the right area, maybe a late fourth round because that average could be rough. And I don't know about the sporting cast there are, are my question marks. Um, he's going to be a good player. Uh, just not crazy about him. I like I like high average guys early, to be honest, so I can take uh, shots later on guys that might hurt my average, and, and I'll still have a, a solid average. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I wanted to ask you, middle of the second round, Aaron Judge, late second round, Cody Bellinger, two rookie of the years from last year, and everyone is very high on these guys. Where do you see these guys going this year? Well, in drafts, you mean? Or, or how how, how would what how do you view them this year? I think they're about the same same area in value. I honestly would rather have Bellinger. It's close for me. Uh, probably not drafting either of them based off of one season. There's just guys I, I like more in that area. I don't think Judge is going to fully repeat. I wouldn't be surprised if if Bellinger did. I mean, he didn't put up a totally insane season like Judge. Uh, Bellinger, there's just something about him. He just seems like he's going to be uh, a really good hitter for his whole career. I liked what I saw in the playoffs where he was struggling and was able to adjust. I think that he's always going to be able to do that. I think he's a really smart hitter. I'm kind of – jury's still out on the judge <laughs> uh, for me. Obviously, he's got amazing power and – He's probably a pretty safe bet to hit 40 home runs. I'm just not sure that the average is going to be anywhere close to what it was last year. I guess that's the main thing, the differentiator. I completely agree with that. That's kind of my thoughts on it as well. That average is not going to be sustainable. At least I don't think it's going to be. Um, Something that stood out in this draft, I don't take relief pitchers too early too often, but uh, we saw Jansen and Kimbrell go back into the third round, and then we wait until the sixth round, and then we see Chapman, Ozuna, or Osuna and Corey Knebel all go in the sixth round. So to me, that is early for some relief pitchers. You got Edwin Diaz in the seventh to go with Felipe Rivero and Cody Allen. So it was going off the board quick. Brad Hand and Ken Giles, Doolittle, Wade Davis in the eighth. So there's quite the run. What are your thoughts on all the early relief pitching? So I'm with you generally. That has been my strategy to, to wait on relievers and not spend an early pick. But – uh, recent years, I'm starting to change my tune on that, to be honest. And not for all leagues, but for a league like this, where you know you're going against some sharp competition and you know you know it's a 15-team league, The I believe there's fab in this league. So it's going to be competitive on the wire as far as picking up saves throughout the season. Um, they drafted like 28 or 29 rounds in this thing between 15 players. So I think that's 435 players. I did the math earlier. Um, there's a lot of, uh, setup guys owned, uh, the guy, a lot of the guys that are going to fall into saves that you don't expect already owned in this league. Um, and the competitive leagues, the, the really competitive leagues that I was in last year, saves were tough. They were tough to come by throughout the year and it made a difference having a guy that you could hang your hat on. So I'm a little bit more prone this year than in past years to spend up for, you know, maybe like Tim McLeod did there and Edwin Diaz in round seven where, you know, you're not at the at the beginning 
you're not on the high end of the run, but you're, you're catching somebody that can still be an elite closer. That's probably not going to lose his job. You know, he might, he did for a little bit last year. He is a little bit risky, I'd say, but man, he's got some good stuff and, and he's got the potential to be one of the best closers in the game. So I'm, I'm probably more uh, prone this year than any other year to, to take one of those closers in a deeper league, you know, shallower league, head to head leagues. That's a little bit different for me. Like if you do take one early, would you rather go with the philosophy to take a second one rather soon? So you have two just lights out closers or are you thinking, okay, I got one really good one. That's going to carry it. So I can pair them with whoever later. Yeah. I see a lot of these teams took one and they didn't even back it up with a guy that that's looking at saves to, to start the year, which, you know, that's, I guess a way to go. I don't really agree with that. I'd like, somebody that's that's looking at saves right now that might have the job for the whole year. So I got two guys, you know, what what is there, 32 baseball teams? I don't even know how many teams are in that. I'll be right now. 30? So there's 30 closers out there, and there's 15 teams, so everybody should have two, right? Um, so. Some of these teams are going to have four. So yep. it's going to be tough to compete in saves. You know, you're, you're looking at, a, at five points in saves probably – unless you you're able to hit the jackpot on the wire more than once. Now we got, we got a, a very interesting thing. I was watching this go through on Tuesday, Scott Pianowski, like the old school strategy of pitching was you don't take a pitcher till late. And that has obviously changed as we've talked about already. So P now goes 11 rounds and then the 12th round finally takes a pitcher and it's Andrew Miller is his first pitcher. His first two starting pitchers is Tay Heron and Kevin Gaussman in rounds 14 and 15. He's got, hitting locked down, but that pitching is suspect. Is this a philosophy you could ever wrap your head around these days? It's not for me. Uh, It's definitely not for me. I just, you know, I do have some notes here jotted down on this. Uh, When I looked over the draft, um, he did this, you know, uh, let's see. Podhorzer did it to a certain extent. He didn't take one until round seven, but he took Arietta, who, you know, we don't know where he's going to land or uh, what he's going to be this year, really. But I like that much more than waiting and taking Andrew Miller in the, the 12th round. And then there was one other team that uh, did this to a certain extent that I didn't mind. Mm, I'll have to jump back to that. I don't like I don't like what, what Scott did here. That said, it might work out. You know, he's a good player. I just don't see it. I don't see how he can be even remotely competitive in pitching categories with Julio Tehran, Kevin Gaussman, uh, Anna Roark, Jake Odorizzi, and Matt Shoemaker as his starting pitchers. It's almost like this was like an auto draft team. It's yeah. – uh, I just don't don't see it. I don't see – and he doesn't even have any closers. No, when when I was talking to him about it, uh, he was saying he's just looking for ratios and everything now, and he'll figure the rest out later. So, uh, yeah, I, but I'm not. not I guess well, Andrew Miller he does, but yeah, when he said that Hader, maybe Ziegler, he's a closer technically starting out the year, but um, Soria is supposed to be the closer for Chicago to start the year. But yeah, yeah. starters wise, there's no ratios you're gonna want really it looks like oh so yeah here let me see who was the other team what did you think of uh what Podhorzer did there uh he yeah because he waited until round seven to get arietta which a i would have started out with a different starter i'm just not big on arietta all this year 
But uh, having Goldie, Ramirez, Hoskins, Elvis Andrews, Will Myers, and Sano to start out with, I, I, I like a lot. But then I was curious. He goes with guys like Greg Bird, Enciarte, Eric Thames, Jason Kipnis. But uh, he did help out his pitching quite a bit after that. Um, with Well, not really because Alex Wood and you know, Kenta Maeda, Sean Manaya, a lot of question marks there. I do like Luis Gohara quite a bit. I think that's a good pick at 18. That kid could be really special. But as a whole, like his pitching, to me, has a lot to be desired still, especially with other pitchers you see go around that area. Now, like you said, when we started talking strategy, a lot of value is based on, you know, kind of the eye of the beholder is the way I see it in baseball. So to him, maybe these guys rated out well. But uh, like his best pitcher to me is Danny Salazar, which got around 11. And that's a big question mark at times. So I don't know what were your thoughts on it. I think I like it a little bit more than than it sounds like you do. Um, it's not the approach that I would take, but that said, having taken that approach and gotten to round seven, I'm with you. I'm not really high on Arietta, but you could do worse to to anchor your staff. He could be good. Um, he could be his old self. I'm really interested to see where he lands um, and what kind of defense he's got behind him because everything that I've read, he, he's really dependent on having a good infield. Uh, he, he induces a lot of ground balls, and uh, I think that that was a lot of his success in Chicago. They had a good infield there helping him out, and he wasn't as sharp last year as he was in previous years. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm not a big Arietta guy. I Danny Salazar, I've always had a soft spot for him. Yeah, he kills me every single year, but he shows those flashes of ace potential. Maybe this is the year he finally puts it together doubtful he'll probably have those stretches where he looks like an ace like he usually does um alex wood's a a guy i have him like i've got stars all over his name here because i can't believe he fell this far in this draft i'm uh i'm actually you like alex wood huh i do like alex wood um you know looking at him last year there there's something about his delivery the way that he is hiding the ball and hesitating as he delivers it, it looks just like Clayton Kershaw to me. And, you know, they're, they're, they're together. I assume as a lefty in L.A. on the same team as Clayton Kershaw, you're probably going to get a few pointers from him. Uh, he put up some amazing numbers last year. Yeah, he's an injury risk. Yeah, you're probably not going to get much more than 160 innings from him the way the Dodgers manage their team. But uh, at pick 174, I just can't believe that he fell that far. Uh, I've seen him go top 100 in, in mock drafts. I don't know that that I'd really get on board that early, but I really like what I saw from him last year. Again, I, I like that flash of Clayton Kershaw that I see there. Maybe I'm crazy, but go out there and take a look. Uh, pull up some highlights of Alex Wood last year versus Clayton Kershaw. I think you're going to see the same thing that I see. He, he looks like him. Uh, that excites me, especially at pick 174. Um, I, I'm with yeah, you. On real, goal. Quick, real, real quick, I want to yep. ask you some more about Alex Wood, and we can keep going on on this. So the part that scares me, the second half doesn't scare you at all. I, I know um, we're talking; these aren't the advanced stats here, but um, just on his quick splits on fan graphs, one six seven ERA compared to three eight nines, to only nine fewer innings. He gave up 23 more hits in the second half and fewer innings. Um, earned runs doubled, home runs he only gave up two in the first half, 13 in the second half. Only struck out 54 in the second half compared to 97 in the first half. That stuff scares me quite a bit, but you're not too worried about that? 
Well, yeah, I mean, he definitely faded. Um, you know, he was rested quite a bit. Uh, he still put up a, what, 3.89 ERA in the second half? Yeah, that's which is really good. It's pretty solid these days. Um, that's even if he has three nine eight three eight nine for the whole season, that's that's helping your team. Anything under a four uh, these days is pretty darn good. Um, trying to see what was his uh, second half WHIP because I think he was he was still pretty solid in the WHIP department yeah. through the second half. Let's see one one two four. Yeah, I mean he yeah. was just absolutely dominant the first half. We take this brief break from Bench with Bubba to talk to you about RotoWare. It's one of the best quality shirts in the industry. When I mean industry, all the clothing industry, the fantasy sports industry, because people are rocking it. They're loving it. You're seeing it in a lot of big outlets now. The no other brand can compete with RotoWare in terms of quality. They're premium blend fabric, super soft, comfortable, athletic fit shirts. They specialize with a special, special printing process. The design is part of the shirt. Literally, it is dyed and bleached into the fabric. No thick ink. There's over 30 different designs right now. It's just crazy all the stuff they have coming out, and there's more and more stu- stuff every time you turn your head. They have fantasy football, baseball, hockey, basketball, some really cool DFS ones, but everything's great. They have men's, women's, and kids. Check them all out. Go to rotoware.com, R-O-T-O-W-E-A-R.com. Check them out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Rotoware. But the cool part, guys, if you use the promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, you get 20% off your order. Again, promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S. Check their site out. Check them Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They're always giving away free shirts. And then when you go to purchase the ones you want for you, your loved ones, your friends, your family, whatever, use promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, for 20% off your order. Now back to this week's episode of Bench with Bubba. Yeah, so I was saying before we got interrupted there um, – yeah, he, he was not as good in the second half, but he was just out of this world in the first half, right? He put up decent numbers in the second half still, 389 ERA, 125 whip. Um he's not going to be that first half pitcher. I'm not expecting that, but I think somewhere in the middle there is a reasonable expectation. Um again, he's probably not going to give you more than 160 innings. I really like the the potential at pick 174. Definitely. Now you're gonna go to. You're talking about uh, Luis Gohara. What were your thoughts on him? Yeah, I'm with you. I can't believe he hung around that late in a uh, experts draft. Where was it? Pick two, two sixty four. Um, that's pretty much where he was going over the winter, and I, I was very excited to be getting him that late in drafts. Uh, this guy's got a ton of potential. I think anybody that that watched him closely last year is 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 pretty excited about him. Yeah, when I'm looking at the other pitchers that went before him, like two rounds prior, he got Sean Manaya. I'd take Gohara over him. Like you look at guys like Aaron Sanchez, uh, yeah, maybe, but, you know, Lamette and Corbin, they're pretty close to him. Uh, Mikolas out of St. Louis, who you probably have a good eye on these days. There's just a handful of guys. I'd rather roll the dice on Gohara, but I, I see the angles, I guess. Um, what were some of the other teams that you thought did well? Because I thought the, the best, quote-unquote, teams that were drafted about – with Gardner, Zinke, Rudy Gamble, and Ray Murphy, that little area. Todd Zoles is pretty good too, but that two through uh, five, I'm a big fan of how those drafts played out. That That's interesting. We only have – I had three favorite teams picked out, and only one of them was in the teams that you uh, mentioned. It was Rudy, Rudy Gamble's team. I love his team. Yeah, it's a solid team. It might be my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's up there in the top two. My other two favorites were Tim McLeod's team. 
Right. I really like what he did there. And uh, the sleeper in the bust, uh, Jason Collette and, and Paul Spohr. I, I like their team a lot as well. Uh, I did want to say while we were talking about those guys punting pitchers, there was one other team that uh, did that. Well, I guess not fully, but uh, Brett Sayre drafted his first starter in round five with Jose Quintana, and he didn't follow it up till round eight with Iglesias and round nine with Cal Hendricks. He was able to grab some some nice high upside guys later in John Gray, Blake Snell. Um, Lucas Giolito is intriguing. Uh, Carlos Rodon, he got him really late, fortunately, but I, I, I'm not, I don't know what, what's going like, on with that injury. You mentioned Quintana. Like, he took Quintana a pick before Aaron Nola went. I'm a huge Nola guy. Would you rather have Quintana or Nola? I'd rather have Nola, and I'm not even that big of a Nola fan. Yeah. Quintana, I mean, he's always been that, that – safe guy that you could count on for, you know, 180 innings, 180 quality innings, a lot of quality starts. He has moved to a good team, but he just wasn't that good last year. I don't know. I, I he, he doesn't do it for me. He, he doesn't have the ace potential. Really, his ceiling is a solid number two. Um, if you're waiting that long to, to grab a starter, I just assume grab a guy like grab a guy like Nola that could be an ace. Yeah, definitely. Um, his team wasn't bad, but going to, to Rudy's and another one I did like, um, I do like where DVR's team went. It, it's a little different, kind of has a, a couple holes, but the gambles he took, I liked. I'm big on Wilson Ramos getting him in the 12th round when other catchers like went way earlier. He's probably the 11th or 12th catcher off the board. The Johnny VR, David Dahl back to back in rounds 13 and 14, two tremendous, uh, upside guys. VR could bounce back. David Dahl coming off injuries. 20 steel potential with him, you know, Clevenger, a nice young uh, pitcher down there. You got Kingry, who I do think to have a nice year there, Dustin Fowler, uh, so on and so forth. But talking Rudy Gamble's team, what is it that stood out to you? Well, let's, let's go back to Derek, Derek Van Rippers. I had some notes on, on his team too. He was uh, an honorable mention for me as well. I really like those first four picks that you mentioned there. Scherzer, Freeman, Jansen. Yeah. We talked about that a little bit of a reach, but uh, you know, he's the top closer. Not many people are going to argue with that. Nelson Cruz, ageless wonder, uh, Aaron Nola, we already mentioned. He's got that stud closer in, in Cody Allen, most likely, I would think. He got good value on Ryan Braun after pick 100. Um, not a huge fan of the guys he got later. Uh, his steals are really dependent on VR, it looks like. Um, I'm not sure that I really want to be putting all my eggs in that basket based on the playing time that he saw down the stretch last year. But it could be a good team. I, I think it's up there in the top half. Who really knows until the season gets going? Uh, going over to to Rudy's team, obviously we both love Trey Turner. If you get Trey Turner on a team, I'm I'm probably gonna like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ronald Acuna. I mean, I can't believe he fell this far in this draft. I swore he would have gone so much earlier than that. That was crazy. Yeah, and what pick was that? Uh, it was after 100, right? 100 and 90, 120, 124. Was, yeah, 124. Yeah, I. I I'm I'm in, man. If he falls past uh, 90, I'm totally on board grabbing him. He's probably not going to be up until 
you know, late April, early May, something like that. But he's the kind of guy that you can stash and, and he could win you your league. You know, we've been seeing these guys every year, the, the Cody Bellinger and judge types like the young guys, the really good ones, they're becoming more common. I, I don't know what it is, but, uh, I'm buying in on Acuna this year. Uh, he didn't. Rudy didn't get it. Yeah. Well, he. Rudy, I like. I like his Willie Calhoun pick on fifteen. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm on board there too. And it looks like he's got a job out of out yep. of spring. That but guy can hit. He did. It, 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 Rudy's draft was, was weird to me because like I'm, I was completely on board as he's going through it. Severino, I absolutely love. If you don't get one of those big, let's say six, if you count Strasburg and Bumgarner. Severino's like my next guy. Um, Darvish, I don't hate. Posey, yeah, you never know, but it goes well with his team because it fills things because his next pick's Ruby Odor, so Posey gives him the average. You just go down the list. I love what he's doing. The young, questionable. Mikel Franco stands out as a big question mark to me. Uh, I was really shocked by that pick. And then you go down a little farther, Hunter Renfro. If he picks his average up a little bit, it could be tremendous. Other than that, most of his guys have pretty good floors with upside. I love what he's done with his team the more I look at it. Yeah, and like you mentioned, for not getting one of those top arms, I really like that that core to his pitching staff with Severino Darvish. And, and Samarge is a guy that I'm really high on. Yeah. We talked about that yesterday with Justin Mason. You can get him at pick 130 in a lot of drafts. There's not many more dependable guys to, to give you, you know, as an innings eater. Um, he's going to get you 200 innings. He's done it each of like the last four or five seasons or something like that. Um, his numbers last year were a lot better than they looked. The underlying numbers say he should have been better. Um, he had some rough goes at Coors, so you're going to bench him there, and, and that'll do wonders. He got good, a good closer in Felipe Rivero. Uh, he backed him up with Brad Boxberger, who I, I like later. Um, the one pick I didn't really like was that Posey pick at 64. But, uh, hey, if you like him, whatever. I, uh, later, guys, you mentioned Willie Calhoun. I like uh, Justin Bohr. I'm big on him this year. Uh, he's not going to have a lot of support, not going to get a lot of lot of runs and RBIs there. But yeah, he's going really late. Um, the Nelson Lamets, a very intriguing high strikeout guy. And uh, Derek Fisher at the end of the draft, I was surprised he he hung around so late. There were reports uh, a couple days ago. Maybe was, yeah, he he might be their left fielder, and and he's got a lot of upside. So yeah, I'm with you. I really like Rudy's team a lot. Yeah, and the more like a Tim McLeod's team, I wasn't all aboard as he was drafting it. But then it's the like you said, you have a strategy coming in. You have your guys. You fill it out until he gets to about. I'd say Austin Hedges. There's probably some other catchers I would have looked at, but I don't hate it. Um, Christian Vasquez, I could care less about, but I guess I see it. But other than that, he has a lot of really good players. I love that Walker Bueller pick. Um, like Charlie Tilson's at Trevor Williams. Um, you know, some gambles there, but those are their last picks in the draft. I do like his team the more I look at it. There's a lot of young players there that could burn you we've seen that before but all in all it's a pretty good squad yeah totally agree um there's some risk there but he didn't take it so much early i mean how can you argue with the trout strasburger ben benintendi carlos martinez start right yeah like his first i'd say his first 12 rounds i'm all aboard <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I really like the value he got on uh, Devers or Devers or however you say Raphael's name out there in Boston. Um, what's that pick? One twenty there. I- I've seen him going. I've seen him going inside one hundred. Yeah, it's just a little bit of a reach if you're taking him inside of one hundred. But he's another one of those young guys. He's only twenty three years old, uh, twenty two or twenty three. He's just uh, looked. Uh, mature beyond his years uh, in his uh, half season up there with Boston or less than half season. I could see him doing some, some really nice things. He's going to have a, a solid average. Um, I like that Tim got that when Diaz that we talked about before, I would have liked him backing it up with another closer that has a job right now. He did get Zach Britton in round 15, which Personally, I think is a little bit of a, a reach for a guy that you know is is going to be gone for at least half of the year, and we don't really know. You know, there, there's talks of him being back uh, aggressively, but I'm not, I'm not so sure about uh, grabbing Britain there. Um, yeah, it's good. I like RC a lot. That's another guy I like a lot. Yeah, he's fallen quite a bit too. You could get him late like he did there. All right, before we wrap this up, any final thoughts on the, the labor? Because we could probably pick every team apart for hours if we really wanted to. There's a lot to, to take in with it because there's a lot of different strategies it looks like that were taking place on this. Yeah, you know what? Uh, there's a, some values that I had jotted down that I really like. I'll throw out at you. I, you don't seem to like Thor a whole lot this year, huh? Because you're saying that he's a tier below those those top six guys. He went at 38. I thought that was nice value. It's good value. I have because what I have is I have the top four, and then I have like a Strasburg Bumgarner tier, and then I have it's Thor, Carrasco, Severino, Verlander, and Degrom. I think that's those five in the next tier, and I want to make sure I have like two guys out of those twelve guys or whatever. That's what I would love to have as a starting point, but that that's where I, I don't hate Thor. He's just another injury concern for me. He's yeah, he's an injury concern, but you know he's he's the kind of guy that can be the number one overall pitcher. That that's why oh, definitely. I'm, I'm buying in on uh, on him, the strikeouts and just his his unbelievable stuff. Um, Otani at 83. Let, let's uh, hit on that before we finish up here. What do you think about Otani? I really really like Otani. I'm really really looking forward to watching Otani. I am just terrified to draft Otani because he's only going to pitch once a week, as long as he's not your ace, as he's, he's his number two for center guard. So that, that actually works out pretty well. I, I can get behind that. And I guess at 83, I can go with it. I'm worried he's going to keep moving up the draft boards, and that scares me. That terrifies me. But if you can get around 83, I can get with it. Um, if you can use him in the leagues where you can use his bats the days he plays, daily leagues, he's a lot more valuable to me. The weekly leagues – Kind of scares me a bit, I'll be honest, but uh, I don't mind it. What were your thoughts on him in 83? No, absolutely. You're right on with the daily league. You can move him into your your uh, offense. We don't know what kind of hitter he's going to be really, but, man, that arm, it looks – those pitches look nasty. These Japanese guys, when they come over, they seem to have their, their best season the first year, the first time through the league when the book hasn't been written on them. I'm really excited about him. Uh, Lenny kind of teared this. Uh, Lenny Melnick, you know, I'm over there on his site. Uh, he tore this draft apart, and he was very critical on on some of these picks. That was one of them. I'm on board. I would draft him there even in a weekly league. Yeah, I don't really want him as my number two. He's more of a number three uh, for me. But you know, I got him as our as my number two in in the the mock that we're doing. I'm okay with that. I think he could bring 
ace type numbers, probably only 150, 160 innings, but at pick 83, I think that's I think that's fair to to solid value. Um, the other guy that Lenny really tore apart was Daniel Murphy being taken in the fifth round. Uh, I just I think that's okay value. Yeah, he might miss two months. He might also miss two weeks, and he's a guy that would be drafted in the in the top 50 easy uh, if he were fully healthy. So um, I guess to wrap it up, who the heck knows? You know, the second half of, of this this draft, it's such a deep league. 435 players being drafted after pick 200. It's like you're throwing darts, really. Who do you like? You know, take whoever you like and can't really judge these teams too strongly. I didn't run the numbers or anything. It's it's a numbers game, you know. Um, yep. I'm just basing it on the cores that I see and, and who's got what they've got. So those are the teams that I like. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this league plays out. I, I am very curious to see how this league plays out. I want to see I, – I, I, I have to look into it. There's got to be a way we can follow it because I want to see the transactions that take place the ad drops, the trades, because a lot of these teams, you know, there's going to be some definite moves being made just based on some of the gambles they took. Uh, one last gamble I wanted to ask you, like stuck out to me right now in round 19, um, Victor Robles, he went to, I believe that was uh, Ray Murphy of baseball HQ in round 19. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think that's a good pick. Uh, he's got as much upside as anybody. Um, Obviously, Adam Eaton isn't uh, fully trustworthy, and neither is Michael Taylor. I'm actually a huge Michael Taylor fan this year. I'll, I'll admit to that. Um, so I'm a little bit lower on Robles because he's a little bit more blocked in, in my book than, than other people's. But, man, round 19, that seems really yeah. late for a guy with his type of potential. Yeah, I'm with you there. There's a lot to like about it. Like you said, let's see how it all plays out. Let's see how the great fantasy baseball invitational plays out. There's a lot. A lot of fun coming up, and it's only February 15th. So pitchers and catchers just reported got a, about a month and a half to go, a little over a month till we get real baseball. But uh, Donkey, Donkey Teeth, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate it. Make sure you guys check him out on Twitter at DonkeyTeeth87. His work's at LennyMelnickFantasySports.com. He mentioned the, uh, the baseball draft guide coming out here in the next week or so, so go check that out. A lot of good stuff. A lot of good people over there. You know, Paul Martin, Walter. They're not bad. They're okay people. But go go check it all out. Um, and his podcast, Ditka Sausage and Fantasy Sports. I listened to that Justin Mason one this morning. Always good content they put out there. So, Donkey Teeth, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, man. Thanks a lot, Bubba. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, anytime, I'm uh, I'm around. Yeah, we'll definitely do this again throughout the season. Uh, we'll have some fun talking baseball, football, maybe some. Uh, Get behind the meaning of the uh, sausage part of Ditka Sausage and Fantasy. Uh, we'll dig, we'll dig deep on this, but until oh, you don't then, know the, uh, the super fan skit from SNL where they're, they're, uh, it's just a bunch of guys from Chicago talking about uh, the Bears. Oh, this, the this they're, the little, they're all sitting around the table. Yeah, sausage. Okay, gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. There you go. Yep. There you go. You got it. Awesome. I love it. I love it. But uh, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Everybody, this was Bench with Bubba, episode seventy-two. Catch you guys next. Bye, bye.